I uh, had the privilege of introducing uh, one of my absolutely closest friends. She and I met in here when I got sober about five and a half years ago, and we um, did not become fast friends, um, but um, we have been really close friends for a long time, and she's uh, one of the most uh, creative and generous um, and resilient people I've ever met. Um, and my life is better for it. And uh, it's a privilege to introduce our speaker tonight, Rebecca. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Rebecca. And I'm an alcoholic, definitely. And... Um, this year has been really challenging. It's been my heart. I have six years today. See, I'm up there. And, uh, thank you. It's been my most challenging year in sobriety, which is why I chose to chair Fridays in December and uh, tell my story and uh, just do a lot of things that I'm really terrified to do, which is to tell my story. Even though I've told it before, for some reason tonight I'm the most scared. So if I am not looking at y'all or if it looks like I'm looking through you, it's just because I'm nervous. And I, ironically, I used to play in bands for like 20 years, but if I looked at the lights, I could blind myself and I could just pretend I was in a bubble and it didn't matter if there was an audience. But in here, I just, I don't know, I feel so very vulnerable right now sharing my story. Um, for the newcomers, I was a newcomer one day, long ago. Well, it seems like a long time ago, and then again, it doesn't. Um, there's a thing that we say in AA, uh, progress, not perfection, and... I have all these journals because I love writing. I love journals. I love writing lists. Um, and I tore a page out of one of my journals that, like, it has slogans on it, and, like, inspirational things. And I just, like, turned to this, and it said, slow progress is better than no progress. And uh, I'm glad for that, that it's progress, not perfection, because my progress has been extremely mind-blowingly slow. Because just because you, you don't drink anymore um, doesn't mean there's not everything that drove you to drink still there. So to this day, I'm still working on my emotional sobriety, which early in sobriety, you're like, I, what the hell is emotional sobriety? I don't drink anymore. Well, I can drink my self-pity and... Uh, envy, all my character defects. But anyway, I want to go back and start from the beginning. I have these notes. They're kind of ridiculous. It, the first thing says the childhood. Um, so somehow I'm going to start with there. But I will start with my childhood, and I will try to get to some solution in what I do today. What we do when we tell our story is we tell what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. And what it was like is I was born in Houston, Texas. Um, the first three years of my life, I think they were good. I don't really remember. I think they were okay. But um, my mom was married at that time to my father, 
Um, he left. He said he was going to... Uh, I just want to say a big part of my story is, like, this, like, ridiculously stupid and tragic childhood. But I, I swear I'm okay now, so you don't have to worry. <laughs> and um, But it did lead me to my drinking, okay? So, um, and a big part of my story is my mental, mental health issues and drugs and all sorts of things. But anyway, three years old. My father tells my mom that he's going to wash clothes. He happened to have a suitcase with him, and, um, and he left us. And I have not seen him since I was three. I don't even know if he's alive. So I think uh, that has a lot to do with all my issues with men over the years, um, always seeking a male outside of myself to give me approval. Um, anyway, so he left, and this leads to when I was... Uh, Four, um, my mom was really devastated by this because she just wanted to be a housewife with kids. You know, it was a long time ago, and that was her thing. That was what she wanted to do. And she met my stepdad, Mike Johnson, and he introduced her to drugs, lots of drugs. And back in the day, they were they were doing Valium, marijuana, barbiturates, whatever that is. Um, I don't know. They they were doing everything. Cocaine. Um, my mom didn't really drink um, because my grandpa was an alcoholic, so she didn't like alcohol. But she once she discovered drugs, that was it for her, and that's when I was four. And from the time I was four to fifteen, my mom um, was a hardcore drug addict. But she always told me there it. It's, this is totally fine because they're all prescribed. All the drugs that my mom did were um, pills that were prescribed to her. Because back in the 70s, like if you had a mental health disorder like my mom did, um, I'm pretty sure she was bipolar and had a personality disorder. They just gave you tons of Valium. <laughs> so she got addicted to Valium. And um, anyway, and she, she was a opiate addict, painkiller addict and um, a benzo addict. So she had lots of prescriptions. And my mom was pretty much fucked up from the time I was four till the time that my grandma said, you're moving with us. Um, I had two lives growing up. I had the life with my mom, which after um, Mike, my stepdad left, it was me and her. And um, my brother was shipped off. He was deaf, and my grandparents were worried about his well-being, so they shipped him off to a deaf school, which was actually better for him. And I stayed with my mom and had all, you know, the upbringing of all her boyfriends. Anyway, one of my earliest memories, um, just to give you an idea of, like, role reversal, is, like, my first day of kindergarten, um, I was so excited. I had all my school supplies lined up that I think my grandma probably bought me. And um, they were partying. It was loud. There was music. There was pot smoke. They were doing coke. Loud, like playing, like, I don't know, Fleetwood Mac or whatever. And, like, uh, I came out, this little kid, and I said, could y'all please hold it down? Like, tomorrow's my first day of school. And... Um, I, I, that was like, I have a vivid memory of telling them to shut the fuck up because I had to start kindergarten. And uh, that pretty much sets the precedent of, of like how my life was. I 
prided myself in being a seven-year-old adult. Um, I prided myself that I took care of my, my mom, that I put her to bed, because she was so fucked up that I had to put her to bed at seven, eight years old. I made us dinner, which was like SpaghettiOs. I was very clever. Um, <laughs> I just remember all these horrible meals that I made for us, but, you know, like mustard and ketchup sandwiches was something I ate. Um, my mom... Obviously, my grandmother paid and grandpa paid for these apartments, and I lived with my mom in Houston. And then my grandma and grandpa had money. So the best times of my life, they were good. I don't think they realized how bad it was, but I have this memory of, like, being seven, six or seven years old, and I walk in, and my mom's unresponsive. She had overdosed, and I didn't know. You know, I knew she was always kind of sleepy and tired and always in a freaking nightgown and um, always half passed out or on the couch. So anyway, she's unresponsive. I go to the neighbors, and I say, I think my mom's dead, and um, the ambulance comes, and that summer... Uh, she went to treatment to a psych hospital, actually, and got, like, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, like, type of shock treatment. Shock treatments today are a lot different, but in the 70s, they were not um, that great, and sh they shocked the shit out of her, and uh, anyway, it didn't help her with her addiction. Um, so that summer, when I was like six or seven, or, I got to stay with my grandma. And that was a great, my grandma and grandpa, that was a great summer. With grandma and grandpa, I had this life where I got to go to Hawaii for a summer because they had a condo in Hawaii. I got to go to Mexico. I got, they bought all my Christmas presents. They would bring them over. Um, my grandma did, my grandma and grandpa did everything. Um, I also had, um, and, um, my mom was a drug addict, but my aunt was a drug addict as well. So my poor grandma had two, and my aunt did the street drugs. My mom always used to like to say, well, I don't do heroin or crack. But um, my aunt, she was a street addict. She did heroin, crack, and that's what um, killed her. Anyway, long story short, no, it won't be short. Sorry, I can't. I don't know how to do that. Um, when I was uh, 15... Um, Things were really bad growing up. I mean, I, when I was, uh, I, I lived in a lot of filth and roaches, and I decided um, when I was 13, I was like, I'll just, yeah, so let me start at 13. When at 13, I said, I'm going to just stay in my room, and I'll do everything in my room. I'll make it really clean. I'll bring my dog in there, and we'll just have our own world. And everything out there can be totally disgusting and roaches. So I basically, like, holed up in my room, and it was really clean, and I would run out for things. And I had to, like, open the cabinet and, like, step back or... Well, wait, first I had to turn on the light to make so all the cockroaches would, like, scurry away. And then I'd wait, and then you'd had to open the cabinet and then just make sure. And that's kind of how I lived, you know, and then order pizzas and live in my room. Um, really wasn't that great. And I had to also live this double life where I hid my mom from my friends. Like, if I had a slumber party, which I didn't have many, but I tried to have a few, I told my mom she had to stay in her room and to not come out. And, like, just sleep all... And, and she slept usually, like, 20 hours, 18 hours a day. So that wasn't too hard to do. I was like, you're not allowed to come out when my friends are here. Um, 
anyway, shitty childhood, okay, whatever the fuck. So 15, um, things really got bad. My mom's latest boyfriend, John Klupp, he, like, left her. He was like, fuck this, because my mom was a handful. I mean, just borderline personality, drug addict, and just really difficult to take care of. At this point, we live in Sugarland in a house that my grandma and grandpa fully bought, furnished, and, um, you know, so we had everything provided for us, but I still lived, because grandma and grandpa were severe enablers, and they paid for everything. But anyway, um, John left after my mom like poured gasoline all over herself and then like threatened to like light it and then he had to tackle her and this kept going on these like fake suicide attempts that could have happened actually but they were for attention so he wouldn't leave he left and the electricity got cut off we had no food things were really shitty my grandma comes over and she's like Becky you and your brother you're coming to live with me and I, so we did. And so I can tell you without my grandma and grandpa, I probably would have ended up in prison. I, I don't think I'd be alive. I really don't think I, I don't, I'm actually, I have a resentment that they didn't come and get me sooner because I was 15. I had already done this for like four to 15. I had raised my mother and was being raised by a pack of wolves and I didn't do a good, I had this fucked up idea, like I didn't do a good job of raising my mom because she's so fucked up. Um, so when I disowned my, gr- my mom, I went, I went and lived with grandma. She lives in Sugar Creek. She has a nice house. And now I'm going to start this like new life. Um, the last thing I'll say about my, well, now I won't, I, I can't predict. Um, I... Uh, was at my grandma's living with her, and I was 15, and this is when I disowned my mom. Came home, and my mom was, like, covered in, um, she had bandages all over her. And um, my uh, grandma said, um, I said, what happened, Mom? What the fuck's going on? Why do you, her nose was all bandaged. She had broken her nose, and she had black eyes. And my grandma said, your mom um, did a joy ride through Sugarland and ran over a bunch of uh, mailboxes and got arrested. Anyway, um, and that was, like, in a neighborhood where I went to school, like a rich neighborhood where other kids found out that, I, that my mom had done that, that she, like, re- ran her car through a bunch of yards and knocked over... Um, mailboxes. But where drugs and alcohol come in for me, I mean, the first time I tried uh, drinking was probably at like five or six. Or, I don't know. I tried weed when I was nine. Um, it was always around. So I was like, you know, let me try this. And I rolled a joint with a, another nine-year-old and we tried it. We didn't do it right. And so, you know, just so y'all know, it was always around. I was always trying it, but it wasn't much of a problem until I got older. Um, I do remember the first time I got really drunk. I was 13, and I was an adult, and um, I, I, I tried, I drank a bunch of wild turkey, and um, <laughs> it was so disgusting. I, I mean, I had fun, and I remember I was listening to, like, flash dance. What a feeling. But, and I was like dancing to flash dance or something to try to make the spinning stop. And because I was spinning and I was going to throw up. So I turned on flash dance or whatever. And I was listening to some motivational music and trying to like aerobic it out. Um, 
Another memory I have, I mean, like, I was bound to become an alcoholic. I mean, come on, based on what I've told y'all so far. Um, another memory, I, I thought that when you did things, you just did a lot of it. That was just what you did. That's what I've seen. Um, but I never... I didn't ever really want to do hard drugs, so that's how I became an alcoholic because that's what my aunt and mom did. But I have this other memory. I was at KISS, and I was so excited to go to KISS. And then on the way, I had made this, like, um, we made, like, you all know about this as a teenager. I was, like, I don't know, young, 15, 16, 17, I don't know, and 16, I think, um, you go to the parents, you know, whoever, I think it was Casey's mom's liquor cabinet, and you put a little of everything with, I mean, just everything. And then you maybe splash some Sprite, and you drink that on the way to the concert. Well, <laughs> by the time I got to the concert, um, I mean, my alcoholism, the reason I tell you this was showing its face at this time. Um, the whole stadium was spinning, and I, I, I like watched a little bit of Kiss, I barely remember, and then I went to a phone booth and threw up in the phone booth. There was a phone booth at this place, and then spent most of Kiss in the bathroom. And so <laughs> um, that really sucks because that would have been a good concert. But I don't really, I just remember the whole stadium spinning. And I did a lot of concerts like that. But um, fast forward, so I live with grandma, went to college. I disowned my mom. So I was like, I, I don't have to live like that anymore. I am now a successful person. I don't have to live with that fucking drug addict. I hate her. I had a lot of resentments towards my mom. Um, and my aunt, and they were, my grandma, bless her heart, she was a huge enabler. She always made sure they had apartments and houses and money, and I would be like, Grandma, you're killing them. Why don't you just have a direct line to their drug dealers because you're setting them up to die, and they did. They both died of overdoses. Um, Fast forward, I went to college. I wanted, you know, I was like, I am never, I had this saying, I am never going to be like my Aunt Kathy and my mom. They're awful. They're losers. I hate them. They ruin my grandma's life. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be rich. I, that never happened. But um, um, so I went to college and um, I discovered college radio and I loved it so much. And I also realized I didn't fit in in college with like the normal people like or whatever I loved the co-ops and that's where I did acid and I was like I'm so different and I'm bohemian and um, I'm so intelligent I know philosophy I'm studying astronomy and uh, just really found myself I so I thought I studied abroad and uh, studied abroad in France when I was 20. So I became very sophisticated when I was 20. Um, I always went by Becky, but at 20 years old, when I, I begged my grandma, I said, I will die if you don't. I mean, this will ruin my career and my life if I don't get to study abroad. So she let me. Um, my, this is terrible, but I'll tell you the truth. My grandma had money. My grandpa was very wealthy. He had an oil well or something. And because of my childhood, my grandma had this thing that whatever I asked for, and I, I've worked on this. I was in 20 years in therapy. She would give me because she had this guilt thing like, yes, okay, Becky, yeah, you almost died when you lived with your mom. I'm surprised you made it this long, and now you're in college, so you can go to France. So whatever I asked, she, she, it was like overcompensation for 
I guess, just keeping me over with my mom till I was 15. Anyway, she didn't know really how bad it was. I let her know and um, <clears throat> got to study abroad. And um, when I was 20, like I said, I always went by the name Becky. I'm Rebecca. But when I came back from France... I hated America. It was so just stupid. I had a French haircut, whatever that is, and wore red lipstick and a beret, and like my hair was black, and I was like, Grandma, no longer do you call me Becky, because I'm Rebecca. Because when I went to France, people would say, Becky, and I was like, or Rebecca, and I was like, hmm. Rebecca, that sounds wonderful. So I came back. I said, Grandma, I'm grown up now, and I'm Rebecca. And, uh, you know, I always was seeking outside of myself a route to happiness. And at that time, I was going to, I decided that Europe, that was going to be my, my, my key to happiness, everything outside of myself, my school, impressing my grandma. I never knew how to get happiness from within. And I was a serial monogamous. I always had a boyfriend. If one left, within days I found another one. <laughs> Not so good at that anymore, but um, <laughs> back then I was. Um, so in college, I discovered music. I was a college radio DJ. And um, I, was, I had a show. It was a women's music show called The Ho Show. <laughs> We were punk rock, we were riot girls, and I had, I had found my calling. You know, my childhood sucked, that made sense if you're punk rock. That totally goes together. I was like, I am a riot girl, that's what I am. So like, I was into Bikini Kill, the Luna Chicks, L7, and I was like interviewing uh, Babes in Toyland. I was a DJ, college radio DJ, interviewing all these bands, and they would come to the Ho Show. I only played music by women. You had, I mean, you, it, the band had to be fronted by a woman, therefore that's why it's called the Ho Show. But we were taking a name like Ho and making it powerful. <laughs> My, the, it was two of us, a girl named April Fresh, and I was Berecca. So, so anyway, I had found my, my deal, and my grandma had wanted me to get it like an economics major. She, her kids were so fucked up. She was like, and I was, me and my brother were the only ones that went to college. She was like, Becky, now you need to get a business degree so you can, like, get a job. And I was like, okay, Grandma. And I, like, made a D in economics, and then from there I went to, like, um, liberal arts. And then I got a degree in radio, television, film, and um, communications. But really, I'll tell you what, I was there all for my grandma for five years. I was in college. I had changed my major, like, six times. And when I, uh, I was a college radio DJ now, and I was very successful at that. And then one day I was like, I don't want to just interview bands. I want to be in a band. So um, <clears throat> right, I was like, this is what I got to figure out. So I graduate from college, and I'm like, Grandma, I'm going to do music. She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. And I worked at, like, I graduated and, like, got a job at Kinko's so I could make flyers. <laughs> and um, got in a band. And I, it was, like, basically this, uh, I, I saw an ad that said um, Pixies, Go-Go's, and The Breeders. 
We need wow. a female front person. And I was like, yeah. I had never been in band. I didn't know what I was doing at all. I came and sang to them an acapella song about my dog named Isaac. They thought I was fucking crazy, so they hired me. Um, I was in that band for five years. And I want to say um, that is where I found, like, I swear, that band saved my life. Because while I was in that band, the band was called Sincola, I... um, I wrote all these songs about my mom and about addiction and about my aunt and about my childhood. They were all, like, with a lot of metaphors, but there was a lot of shit about my mom. And while I was in that band, um, the 90s were the decade of death for me. Um, That's what I called it. But the first part of the band, I was in the band from 92 to 97. My aunt died of a heroin overdose. Her kids found her. Um, So my grandma buried her. And then in Christmas, I used to hate Christmas. I hated Christmas. It was the time of death and demise and depression. Um, December of 1994, um, we went over to my mom's house to go get her. She was living in a little apartment that my grandma paid for and we knocked and knocked on the door no one answered but there were lights on and uh I just had this feeling because the lights were on and she wasn't answering you know it was kind of like go get your mom kind of thing she's sad and pathetic like just go get her and bring her to Christmas day she didn't answer and so we called the cops and the cops I'm so glad he did this he was like, oh, I think he, he goes, does your mom have a history of drug addiction? I was like, yes, yeah, she does. She could be over. He goes, oh, I, I need the manager to open this door. I, I can't open this. And I was like, oh, okay. So anyway, the next day they got the manager, and my mom was in there, and she had been dead for like a week. Mm-hmm. I am glad I didn't see that, but my grandma did and my uncle did. And I, t- I include all this because this is so much of how I became an alcoholic (laughs) because I was so against drugs like the drugs that killed her because she had a drawer full of like prescription pills from all these different doctors and it was like Percocet, Vicodin, Valium, Xanax. She did fucking everything. She even drove up to the methadone clinic and she didn't even shoot heroin but she liked methadone also. Um, Anyway, mom was... I reacted very strangely. I My grandma called and said, Becky, we found your mom, and uh, we need to plan for the memorial, and you need to stay in town because I was leaving that day. And I said, oh, no, I've got a show. I need to go. She's like, what? I was like, yeah, i got a show with Sincola. I'm not staying. I don't care. I knew she was going to die anyway like that. And she's like, Becky, you're not thinking clearly. Anyway, she made me stay. I stayed for a few days. And I was very angry. I was like, I knew she would die this way. Fuck her. I don't care. That kind of suppression went on for years until I had a nervous breakdown when I was 28. But um, I did play a show a few days after she died and realized all these songs were about my mom. So time goes on, and all this stuff I was, like, suppressing, the pain of that. I was like, I don't care. I hated her anyway. She was dead to me. She was already dead. Who cares? That doesn't work, you guys. It really doesn't work because it snuck up on me. 
And then when I was 28 years old, I don't know, I, I was insane, going crazy, hallucinating. Even when I wasn't on drugs, I was out of my fucking mind. I was, like, disassociating. I went to the doctor, and they said, or a therapist, and she's like, you have PTSD. And I was like, why? And I, I told, told her my childhood. She's like, do you, you have PTSD. This, you have all this trauma you haven't dealt with. So I've been in therapy ever since. You know, I'm not in therapy now, but I was in, that was at the end of the, you know, I was 28 years old, and I was in um, 20 years of therapy, you know, or 15 years. Time goes on, and uh, I get prescribed medication. I get, I'm on, going to therapy. I'm in all these, like, ridiculous relationships. And um, I start think I start figuring out. I mean, I always drank. I always drank. I mean, I did. I did everything, but drinking started to once I got into my thirties. Um, that became a solution. Like I was in a really bad relationship from um, two thousand to two thousand six, and I worked at a costume store, and everyone like did drugs and drank, and it just became habit to get a six pack of Lone Star Tall Boys after work to deal with my life. Time goes on, and the drinking is just like just kind of normal. I just you know I binge drink, I smoke a lot of pot maybe throw up here and there, but <laughs> it really um, escalated. I'll be on. I mean, I was in this relationship. I was in a bunch of sorry-ass relationships. <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm, I'm still figuring that, that out, you know, the whole dad thing. But um, I'm working on it. Um, very codependent in relationships. So fast forward to 2009, so we're getting close, and I, I will get to solution, but this is fun. Um, I was in this relationship. I was now, in the 90s, I was in punk rock bands. I was pop punk in, in 1990-something, four, five, six, something like that. We got, Sincola got best new pop punk band. And in the 2000s, in 2006, I played honky-tonk music. I did the whole punk goes to alt-country thing. And I was in a band called the Texas Sapphires for 10 years, and we played honky-tonk music, uh, bluegrass, outlaw country, and, you know, Toby Keith sucks, and Faith Hill sucks, we're the real deal, Lefty Frizzell, Patsy Cline, Willie Nelson, Ray Price, that kind of thing. And I tell you what, I was almost straight edge when I played in Sincola. Being in a, a band that plays at like Green Hall for three hours, not yeah, and does like 80s, that band I became, <laughs> that's when my alcoholism took off. All the songs were about drinking and whiskey and cheating and lying and more drinking and being an alcoholic and being depressed. And I was like, this is fucking great. I, I, this is me. This is my life. So, um, you know, in the bands, I'll tell you, the bands, um, I got to do travel and do a lot of great things playing in bands. Um, the Sapphires, the Texas Sapphires, we played Norway, we played France, we did big festivals. Europeans love um, that kind of music. Like, I would go over there and play to 10,000 people in France and come here to play to four people, and I'm like... Fuck Austin. But um, <laughs> so anyway, 2000, um, 2009, 
my boyfriend at the time was also in a country band. He, he played the pedal steel. He came home, and he said, he, we'd been together three and a half years. He said, I wasn't with Lucas tonight at the Horseshoe Lounge. I was with Boots. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I've been seeing I'm a, a woman named Boots. It's like, what the fuck? Her name is Boots. <laughs> it was that was her nickname. But anyway, he told me he was. It was so fucking country, you know, like because she was. He played the Broken Spoke every week, and she was one of the groupies and named Boots, and they fell in love, and he was leaving me. I was blindsided. I had no idea that he was having an affair. I was so angry at this Boots. I wanted to fucking kill her. And we had to live together for like a couple, um, like a month after he told me this. And I went online, and he was so stupid. He wasn't good at hiding shit. And I found like a picture, like she was sending like booby photos. And I was so angry. Anyway, when that happened, I tell you that. I mean, it's funny now. At the time, I thought I was dying, just dying. Um, I decided that I would drink myself to death, that I was 40 years old, and um, this guy's leaving me for boots. And my solution was, like, I'm going to play country music. I can just blend right in as, like, a dying drunk. And I'm just going to drink myself to death. That's what I'm going to do. So from 2009 to 2012, I tried. I, 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 I would get up to like, I'm not a very big person, and I was also on antidepressants. So I would like um, count. I started counting how much you drank. I was like, man, 62 this week. You know, and that's a lot for when you're on medications. And I was blacking out. In those years, the last years I, I wrote about 2009, 2012, I was blackout, like show, you know, going home with guys. I, 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 I would wake up. I didn't. I would not know where I was, what their name was. I'd have to look at their license to see what their name was, and like literally have no idea what happened. And this happened like over and over and over again. Blackout drinking with guys. One time I woke up. And I just had a shirt on and nothing down here. And I was with the bartender and I was like, what the fuck is going on? What did you do to me? And he was like, you came over last night wasted and demanded that I have sex with you. I was like, what? I did not. He's like, yes, you did. And you said you would kick my ass. If <laughs> what? Yeah. And I know. I believed him. I did that. That's how I was. I was like aggressive and I would... Once I got to that point, the clothes came off. It didn't matter who you were. And this went on. I don't even know how I got out of that. those years when I was drinking myself to death and sleeping with whoever, everyone, how I didn't get a disease. Somehow I didn't because I didn't, I didn't care. I was going to drink myself to death, so I wasn't safe. And the last years of my drinking, it's funny to me now, but it's... Um, I would like have to open my apartment and be like, because I had literally, there was a lot of people that partied in this complex apparently, and they drank like I did. And I had slept with the the guy upstairs, next door, downstairs, down the way, across, mm-hmm. and uh, I, it was just awful. And it was all when I was just drunk. And one of the guys, I uh, hope you don't know him, but his name was Dude. 
<laughs> he lived upstairs and he was like, his name was Dude. And I would look to make sure that Dude, okay. And then Hank, who was downstairs, you know, okay, Hank and Dude aren't around. I can walk the dog. Um, yeah, I'm not proud of that. And then at the very, very end, some of the very last memories, I mean, you guys, I would try to control it. Like, I remember I would buy two bottles of wine and say, this is good. It would be Monday. This is going to last me the whole week. And I would drink both of them that night and be like, fuck, I drank all my wine for the week in one night. Um, it... The, the thing that really got me to quit, I mean, was the devastating shame. I'm not proud of those years where I decided I was some wild cougar and, <laughs> like, drunk, blacked out, sleeping with whoever. I didn't care. Um, oddly, I have to say, I decided to go to grad school to become a counselor in 2011, and I was still living like this, but I thought if I went to grad school to become a counselor, that would make me better. One of my memories of grad school before I got sober was being at this bar across from St. Ed's, and I met this guy, I think he was a drug dealer, and we went out to my car and did cocaine on my, um, I got some of my te my textbook, and was doing like cocaine on this like counseling textbook <laughs> with this guy, you know, snorting it with this guy I didn't know, he could have been, you know, we were in a dark area doing coke, and St. Edwards is right across the street. And I'm like, what the fuck? This is not like a person that's going to be a counselor. This is not a good, like, quality citizen that's going to help people. So I, um, I got sober when I was in grad school to be a counselor. I just looked... I would go to happy hour before class because sick class was 6.30 to 9.30, and I would show up just slightly drunk, but enough to, like, write notes and listen. And I remember one night, one of my classmates was like, you smell like beer. And I was like, yeah, I went to happy hour. You don't do that before class sometimes? She goes, no, not before class. Are you drunk? And I was like, maybe a little. And um, anyway, uh, that was grad school until I got sober. And then I have, um, I'm going to wrap it up. But I'm going to use every bit of time because I have to tell you something. One of the last <laughs> memories was I used to like to, I lived by um, not far from 888. Basically, I lived next door to the Whip-In and the liquor store. And those were my last, the last years from 2009 to 2012. And I loved going to 888 after drinking because they're open to like two or three. It's awesome. And I remember... <laughs> I um, went really shit-faced. I had played a show at the Whip-In, and um, I passed out in my noodles. I was by myself, and I was, like, down in my noodles, and this lady's like, ma'am, ma'am, are you okay? Are you okay? Wake up. And I was like, oh, yeah, that noodles are falling off oh, no. me. And I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm just really tired. It's a hard day at work. Oh, and um, get up. And like, oh shit, I passed out at eight at eight. Um, anyway, it was it was getting really tragic, and now I do have to like speed it up. But I was so ashamed of myself 
I thought that I and I was so severely lonely. I thought I was I don't I don't like this word, but this is what I thought I was, a slut, um, stupid, low life. I was in grad school, but that was just a I was an imposter because I was just so down and out. I was going to end up <sighs> grad school was not going to save me. I thought it would. But I felt like the lowest of low. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I had a dog, and I was a fucking drunk, and I was living a lie going to grad school to be a counselor. So December 28, 2012, I had played a show at the Whippin. I liked playing there because you could get as much beer as you wanted for free. I loved playing like Hole in the Wall and the Whippin because they paid you in drinks. And that was awesome at the time. And um, got paid in drinks that night and drank a shit ton of that really strong beer that they serve, the micro, uh, you know, the really whatever. And um, <laughs> I went to 888, I think, too, on my last night. I, yeah, I did. And uh, did the whole thing, whip in 888, went home, and then got up on the 28th. And the 28th was my mom's birthday her birthday. And the whole room smelled like beer. The, the sheets were sweaty. Uh, I mean, they were wet. The whole room just fucking smelled like alcohol. I was 40, you know, I don't know, two, 43 years old, lonely, miserable, and had so many nights where I didn't remember what guy and what I did and what the fuck happened. And I was like, I am my mom. I am my mom. It doesn't matter that I'm in grad school. It doesn't matter that I, I'm so much smarter. I got a master's and that I didn't, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm going to kill myself or somebody else because I loved to drive when I was drunk. I was always fine when I wasn't. And so I was like, I'm going to die. And, and, and I... I I went, I knew there was one girl at St. Edward, she was like in her 50s, really awesome lady, Linda, and she came to Bolden, and, and, and I knew she had 27 years, because she had talked about it in the drug and alcohol class or something. I was like, hey, Linda, it was like after class, I was like, where do you go again, because I think I'm an alcoholic, and she was like, I got the perfect meeting for you, and she took me to my first meeting here at Bolden, um, and uh, I walk in. It was a women's meeting on Saturday morning. I see Gretchen here, who I'd known from the music scene. And I was like, what the fuck? And it just felt like home. And most of my family, they're deceased. Well, they're all, like all dead, except I have a cousin in Seattle. And I really love her, and she's, like, where I go and have family time. I go to Seattle every year. She has a husband and kids and has, like, a real house and, like, a real family and shit. So I go there to feel, like, normal, like, to see what it's like to have that kind of thing. And um, But what this place has given me is, um, with fellowship, you never have to be lonely. I was so fucking lonely and in self-pity when I showed up here and, and when I was at the end of my drinking 
And I felt so sorry for myself. My family, my mom, my dad, bad relationships, men are suck, they cheat, everybody. You know, I was full of victim. But when I came here, I found a family. And I know as long as I stay sober and, and go to these rooms, and I can go to these rooms anywhere in the world, that I have family. Um, I love my friends in here. They make me cakes. Um, I don't even think my grandma, well, she might have made like a cake out of the box or something. But like people do for me here shit that people never did for me and my family. Like they, they just do. It's amazing. And all of my family is Bolden and people in recovery. I have a few friends that are on the outside. They don't really get it. I mean, they're okay, but I, I know it's kind of rude, but like I prefer all my friends here in recovery. That's my family. And uh, a few other people like that are on the outside, they, they support me and understand me and love me. And, but I don't talk to them about like resentments and doing inventory. They wouldn't know what the fuck, you know, <laughs> tenth step every night, your nightlies. Like, I'm so happy I have you guys. Um, this year, and I'll, I'll wrap it up very shortly, this year was the hardest fucking year of my sobriety, and I didn't drink over it. My relationship, my only sober relationship, and somewhat healthy till it wasn't healthy, was four and a half years. Four and a half years. And I met him here, <laughs> and he broke up with me. And uh, I, I have a lot of codependent issues, and it just both ways. There were problems from both of us. We both had a fault in it. <coughs> Shortly after that, I had to move out very quickly, and I got a brand-new car, um, totaled it within a few days. <laughs> uh, I had to call him to come and get me. I had wrecked my car in Wimberley, totaled it. And I worked in Wimberley at a treatment center, and at the end of November, I got laid off. So I don't really have anything right now. I do have an apartment, and I have a dog and a cat, and they're lovely. But I, I'm like at the most peace that I've ever been. And I can actually say I know what happiness is and, I, I, and that I'm learning to love myself. And I, I never knew that. I, I don't have a boyfriend, which I thought I always needed, or a job, which is kind of fun just doing like pretending I'm retired. And um, I mean, I got unemployment because they laid, off, laid me off. So I'm like pretending I'm retired and doing crafts and going to a lot of meetings. And I feel I do need to get a job, though. And I feel I have you guys. And, and, and I never feel the loneliness I did when I was out there. I was so lonely at the bars, so lonely. Um, and now I'm, I'm not. And what I do to, I know we've got a minute or so, is I've done the steps. I have a sponsor. We've worked together three times. I fired her. She fired me. We, and now we're working together again. Today I said she was kind of a bitch. She said she still loved me. I mean... <laughs> But I've known this sponsor for a long time, and I've been mad at her many times. And she actually sent me a text after I told her I thought she could be a real bitch. She said, oh, my God, I love you so much. <laughs> what? 
But, you know, that's how people are here. And I've done the steps. I'm doing the steps again. I've done them like two or three times. I'm on probably my third time of doing the steps. I'm on six and seven, which I'm going over tomorrow. I uh, go to a lot of meetings. I uh, don't do nightlies or meditate every day, but I did meditate today for 20 minutes. And uh, I do try to do an ongoing inventory of shit I do wrong to others. Um, I love being in recovery, and I do have to wrap it up because I know um, it, we've come to a, a close. But for the newcomers, I want to tell you it, it's hard, but it does get better. But you just have to keep coming back and do these steps and get a sponsor and know that you never have to be lonely when you are involved in fellowship. And that's all I have. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, all right, let's do this quickly. Um, let's see. Uh, every meeting, we distribute chips for continuous years of sobriety. Um, is there anyone here that has seven or more years? Oh, no. <laughs> because I was so nervous about doing my story. But y'all heard everything, so I don't need to give another speech. But, um, yeah, it was because of what I just told y'all. That's how this happened. Oh,